hello and welcome to episode 159 of the 1099 for the week of July 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and today is a new episode of the aptly named, the creatively named Josiah Reviews. This is a series where I put my game critic hat back on to share my thoughts on the latest and greatest releases. That's really more of just, hey, here's a whole bunch of games I've been playing that I have thoughts on, and Twitter's a really great outlet to post those thoughts, to talk about these games, but there's only so far you can go before you realize you have like a 19-string tweet thread about Yoku's Island Express. Uh, At this point, because I'm doing a lot of different developer interviews lately, which you guys might have noticed, I'm getting more games. And um, developer interviews are a good outlet to talk about game design, how things changed over development, to, to kind of dig into the, the nitty-gritty of that stuff. But it's not the best time to just start talking about the game critically. Uh, and I guess the, the reason why is, let's say I'm talking to uh, a game developer for a game that I might not have loved. It's really weird and uncomfortable to be like, hey, why'd you do this shit? Why'd you make this decision? And there's definitely going to be times, and there have been times, where I bring up things I don't like about certain games directly to the developer, not in an aggressive or combative way, but more of just a, hey, why did this happen? Or how did this come about? Uh, But I think this is a better outlet to sit down, and yes, it is a solo podcast, it's just me, to sit down and and talk through a lot of my thoughts on games. There's going to be, I think I have right around five different games. Yep, it's five games that I plan on talking about today. Uh, Some of them you've probably heard me talk about a little bit on podcasts or you've heard me interview developers some of them you'll hear me interview the developer at a later date Uh, but the games are going to be yoku's island express the crew 2 vampire 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 i think vampires i'm just going to keep saying it that way i'm sorry if it's wrong it helps me uh mother gunship and moonlighter uh these are all games that i've most of them I've completed. Some of them I'll talk about how far I've gotten and kind of hold some sort of judgment for certain aspects of it because I just haven't finished them. But I really enjoy doing these shows uh, and I haven't had a lot of time. Um, I can't talk too much about you know, my, my job and how much time it's been taken up and everything like that. Um, I, it's really been you know, heartwarming to see all the messages from people asking me about it and you know, being super kind about it. And I'm, I will be excited. You know, there'll be a point in time where we can, I can talk a lot more about, you know, what we're making and all the crazy work that's been going on. And um, for right now, just to, you know, give a life update, I will say that I think thankfully talking to so many people in game dev has prepared me for what it's like. But there's also some aspects you just don't expect. Uh, last week, you if you listened to the Matt Rory episode, uh, I opened up a bit about, uh, when you're a producer, there's certain there's certain times where you clean out your inbox, you have all your you know eyes dotted, t's crossed, and everything like that, and you see everyone else working really hard because there's this feels like a nearly unlimited amount of work that the programmers could do, or that the combat designers can do, or that the artists can do, and you're sitting there and you kind of there's only so much you can do before like my workload will run out. And you can't go and help those people. And it, it can be difficult to work in the environment starting out where you feel like you want to do more, but you don't have those technical skills. I'm not, you know, I don't understand coding. I don't understand. I'm not a good artist. I, I can doodle. I can doodle okay. But I, I'm not, you know, making key art or anything like that. And I don't know how to implement combat systems. 
so you help as much as you can as a producer and you volunteer to do what makes sense for you but it's definitely been the, the the biggest learning curve has been trying to you know find where you're useful trying to understand the nomenclature trying to understand the terms that are being thrown around because a lot of the people i work with are experienced very experienced it's a great team it's people who've been doing this for a long time at games like XCOM and Call of Duty and Spec Ops The Line and just these major releases that they understand this stuff immediately and they're all speaking a different language and I'm trying to catch on. And that's been, it's not like, we haven't had crazy hours yet. We're not at some stage where like, you know, we're, we're just doing crazy crunch or anything like that. The, for me, the exhausting part has just been trying to find my place and feel like I'm contributing and understanding what everyone's saying it's uh it's it's been crazy it really has been i mean from the drive to everything every aspect of learning what i'm doing and working with the team and figuring out you know everything that's going on it's 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 been a lot but it's been cool it's it's been so valuable it's i've learned so much uh it, it feels again it's tiring but it also feels really rewarding when you can go home or you, it's suddenly friday and you realize just how much you've learned and how much you've grown and that's so that that's corny and that's generic, but it's true. When you when you enter a job, a, a field like this that you just know nothing, you know as much as like I I knew about as much as I could without actually working as a developer. I've I've talked to so many and I've covered it for so long, but that it doesn't match up when you actually compared to what goes on when you're making video games. It's it's an entirely different world, and uh, I don't think. I still stand by the fact that I don't think you need to have made a game to adequately review one or critique one. Um, that's that's not how reviews work. But I do think there's this entirely new layer of respect and maybe empathy you might gather from being in that environment, understanding what goes into everything, understanding how difficult it is to name a video game. It's fucking hard to name a video game. Every name is taken, and uh, there's a lot of bad names that come out when you start creating like a, a big old Excel sheet. You say some dumbass shit, and you're like, man... It's not a good name, but at the moment you're like, I can't think of anything else. It's uh, it's 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 crazy. Um, I'll be able to talk about it more later. Uh, again, th appreciate all the support with that. And uh, another reason why I'm doing this episode now is, you never know how many downloads you're gonna get on a solo episode, especially since I I do a interview show that a lot of it is you know I lean on the guest. The guest is the star of the show, and I want it to be that way. And uh, you never you hope that people still kind of care about your own opinion on things or what you say but it, it doesn't like I've always known from the start that I did the 1099 because I wanted to talk to in interesting people and I wanted people to get to know those interesting people that I'm interviewing but the last episode I did of this did really well so that was super you know humbling so we're gonna do another one let's start let's stop talking about me let's get into the games let's uh so you guys heard me talk to um, the developer behind Yoku's Island Express, but I really didn't get to dig into the game. I got to talk a little bit about it with him and certain design decisions, but not what I really thought about it. And you know, it's so rare to play a game that feels like it's just doing something entirely new. And that might be ignorance on my part that maybe there are a bunch of open world pinball adventure games, but Yoku feels like something I haven't played before. And for those who don't know, Yoku's Island Express is this 2D, very colorful, seemingly hand-drawn, open-world pinball adventure game. And that sounds nuts, because it is nuts. It's this game where you're, 
you're collecting and platforming like you would expect from a lot of platformers. Honestly, the crazy part is it has this spirit of a 3D platformer from the N64. And I'm, I asked that question to the developer and he was like, didn't really take inspiration from that. And sure, like I totally get that. But for me, that's what it harkens back to, to the, the Banjo-Kazooie almost Donkey Kong 64. Like not, I'm not saying it's this aggressive collectathon, but the, the, the squawks and noises the characters make, the collecting you're doing, it really made me feel like I was playing a classic adventure uh, or maybe platformer adventure game um, from the N64. But it has this entire other layer to it that's insane. I mean, starting with this, like the map itself is is massive. It's one of those you zoom out and you go, whoa. You know those those kind of games? Like an open world game. Sometimes that can be a bad thing when you you, you zoom out and you're like, I'm never completing this game. Yoku doesn't feel like that, but you zoom out and you see everything. And uh, the cool part is I get easily overwhelmed with this kind of stuff. But what Yoku does really smartly is that it obfuscates a lot of that area with this kind of cloud. All right. So as you're traveling and you actually discover certain areas, the, you know, the cloud and the map lifts and that is now visible on the map. So you're uncovering certain areas. So you don't immediately see every single objective or every single nook and cranny of the map. It, it's... It's, it's mostly opaque at that point, and it only is really showing you in detail the spots you've been to. So it gives you scale, but it doesn't knock you over the head with it. It, it, it kind of makes everything digestible, which I really appreciate. And you know, I talked earlier about this being entirely new, but there's, there's so many elements that feel like they would be tired. Again, this, this three, you know, 2D platformer is not anything new. In Metroidvania, it's a very much a Metroidvania, but... Because it's a pinball game, the Metroidvania really changes things. Like your your certain areas are locked off, but it's not in a oh. And once I open this up, I'll explore them in a normal two D platformer way. You're exploring them as if it's this pinball set. I mean, it, at that point, the game changes into a you know both bumper like are 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 uh, controlling how the pinball works, and it's it's it feels really fucking good. There's, it's funny, like you would. I'm not a huge pinball person. I've had moments, but I don't want to play a pinball game for 10 to 20 hours. But they spread it out just far enough that you are excited to get back to those moments when they happen. You're not like, oh, God, another one of these. You're more of, oh, cool, we're back to this. And then you do it just long enough. And you collect just enough fruit and you get just enough collectibles and you, you progress to the next area. And then you're ready to do the platforming again. It's really cool. And the art style is unfairly good. It's the type of thing you see and you're like, that's, that's, games look incredible. Not, this is not a technical marvel. It's just an artistic thing that you see. And when you pair that artistic creativity with the concept of open world pinball, it's just this kind of sensory overload. Uh, and even if you rush through the game, and I wouldn't say I rushed through it, but I wasn't being a perfectionist. It's close to like 10 hours. And I would say if you want to uncover everything and, and, and do all the different quests, because there's side quests, there's main quests, there's characters all over the place who are asking you for stuff. I think you could get 20 or 30 hours out of this thing. And we talked to the, we, I guess I did, uh, talked to the developer about, you know, the fact that it was a five year development cycle. Like it's a five-year development cycle for an indie game, but it doesn't feel 
it feels indie in terms of you can tell it's not a 50 million dollar budget but it's, it's there's like three to four or maybe five call of duty campaigns worth of content it's my unit of measurement measurement out of this thing if you if you have a fondness for classic 3d platformers maybe less so the feel more so the the sort of thematic elements in the in the the tone of them and you at least have some sort of enjoyment of pinball i'm telling you yoku's island express it's on switch it's on ps4 xbox pc all that stuff but it's also on switch and it's a perfect switch game it almost feels like it's made for the nintendo switch it's really something special like i, I walked away being like man this is gonna be on like this could be a year-end list game for me it, uh, I'm really happy it turned out as well as it did after that five-year development cycle. Because when you assume an indie game takes five years, it's probably not a great sign. There's a lot of bad shit that could happen in five years. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it really stands out to me. Um, I just, it, it gets a little, the only, like, one of the only knocks I would say, and it's, it's kind of a weird knock, uh, because it's Metroidvania, a lot of mechanics and a lot of things are going to start piling up, right? As you keep going, different aspects are added where you need to, okay, now you have like a vacuum function where you're sucking up a certain explosive enemy and you use that. Once you suck it up and attach it to yourself, you can now break through rocks. And uh, At the very end, it gets a little crazy where there's almost so much going on at once that it feels like almost the, the patting your head, rubbing your tummy. Or is it rubbing your head, patting your tummy? It's one of those. A little bit of that, and that can get... It starts going from fair difficulty to feeling overwhelming but that's all end game stuff so you 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 kind of expect it but there is definitely moments of almost wanting to throw the controller level frustration um but it's that it's it's really really late game stuff and i i don't think it takes much away uh so yoku's island express villa gorilla developer this is their first game um nintendo switch ps4 xbox one pc you should fucking get it it's really good it's it's really 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 good. Uh, it's 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 one of the bigger surprises for me this year. Uh, let's move to a AAA game that I'm only going to make one comparison to Yoku's Island Express with this, and I promise it'll make sense eventually. Uh, the Crew Two, which I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with the developers sometime in August. They, of course, after development, a lot of people, a lot of developers take extended breaks. Some people take month, like a month. Some people take multiple months. In the case of like. I know the God of War team, a lot of people were just like, we're, see ya, we're leaving for a bit. Uh, and the so I'm going to talk to the developers of that. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen my opinion on a game swing this many times in a really, in a really long time. It, I've had moments where I think the Crew 2 is trash. I've had moments where I think the Crew 2 is this exceptionally fun racing game that I can spend another 20 hours in. Uh, let's start with this. Let's let's go negative first, because apparently that's like what I enjoy to do most of the time. The writing and the tone of The Crew 2 is <laughs> it's almost criminally bad. I, and I feel bad saying that, but it feels like people who aren't millennials or younger had this idea of like, oh, the millennials love followers and they love fucking dope car tricks 
and they love social media and we're going to make a game all about that. It's this concept of, hey, you're this race, this, 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 this dude who races in cars and planes and, and boats and you need to do rad stuff and win races and get your follower count up and everyone's going to love you because you're awesome. But like the writing is so, it goes from like generic, that's obviously your first draft to like, this is actually probably like other lines. They feel like they're probably the fifth draft, but they went through so many different people who are like marketing, but not privy to how humans talk. And it's just, it's really grating. It's really off putting. And it's a bummer <laughs> because the game's actually pretty good. And it's fun. Uh, Here's my weirdest comparison of this entire podcast. It kind of feels like a realistic-ish Diddy Kong racing. Because you have these different... It's a racing game with different forms of transportation. You're like, oh, cool, you're in a boat. Now you're in a car. Now you're in a plane. And there's different. There's even more variations on that. Uh, we talked before about kind of this, this, this zooming out on map moment for Yoku. Uh, it's actually the opposite for the crew too. There's a zooming in moment on the map that it's like jaw dropping. So your map is the United States and it's kind of a shitty looking map at the start, to be honest. It's like this kind of white map with all these different icons. I remember sitting there with my roommate being like, this kind of a shitty looking map. There's a lot going on here. And I looked over and I was like, oh, let's just zoom in on something. And we started zooming. And we started zooming, and we started realizing, like, oh, we can get really close. That's a crazy close zoom. And I realized that the zoom is essentially like a, like a Google Earth zoom, where you can just zoom in directly wherever. And let me start by saying this. It's not, you can't zoom in on your hometown and see your house. It's not that. But you can suddenly be like, I'm just going to zoom in on Jacksonville, Florida, where I used to live. And you get this sort of cheap facsimile of Jacksonville, and you can just drop in there. And just race there. Like, you're... Again, the scale's entirely different. It, it Going cross-country would not take hours or anything like that. But it's, it's this wow moment of, oh, shit. Your entire racing playground is the United States. And that's really awesome. Uh, that was one of those, like, wow, there's this is incredible. Um, and there's a lot to do. And here's the thing. Let me, let me, there's a lot to do in terms of activity. There's not a lot to do just randomly in the open world because there's enough variety in terms of the, the, the scheduled staged activities that you can keep mixing things up and not get bored. You can go from, I'm going to do a drag race to, I'm going to do a monster truck trick kind of rally thing to, I'm going to be on a speedboat to, I'm going to do tricks on a plane. It's the sequel to snakes on a plane and you can do all these different things. And you keep mixing these up. You really, you can, you'll find some of your favorites. You might be like, I fucking hate being on a boat, but that's fine. You could skip a lot of those and just go do a whole bunch of drag races or just do a whole bunch of monster truck stuff for a bit. It really gives you that freedom. And I really like that. Uh, but the actual open world, there's not a lot of stuff to do. If you decide you do want to do a cross country trip for the hell of it, You'll see some cool stuff and some different stuff will pop up that you can do, but it's kind of empty, and that's a bummer. Like it, I, it feels like there, it, it's 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 really 
needs some sort of fun in between so that you can just kind of be like, I'm going to, I'm going to drive from Texas to, to New York just for fun. What's going to happen on the way there? You want those moments. You want moments to be like, Oh man, I did this crazy drive and I saw this and this happened and this car flipped and this activity happened. And there's not a lot of that. And that's a little bit of a bummer. It kind of feels like it wastes that massive map. It wastes the holy shit moment of the zoom because that entire area you just looked at that you realized was at your fingertips, it's not really that important. That, that part's a bit of a bummer. Another bummer is, speaking of cross-country trips, there's a, there's a moment, there's an activity you can do about the first 10 hours of the game where it's this cross-country, not cross-country, I think you go from like, I feel like you go from like Texas to California. And it's the long, one of the longer races early on. And you're on a motorcycle. And uh, the, the race itself takes like 20 minutes, which if you think of it, maybe it's 15. If you think about that, it's a very long race compared to like a lot of these things are a few minutes. This is like a 20-minute race. And this is when the rubber banding really felt like it reared its ugly head because i'd heard some things about like oh man there's a lot of rubber banding in this game there's a lot of moments where it feels like even though you're like the the farther you get in the lead the more the people behind you start speeding up or the further back you get suddenly the other people in front of you start slowing down and you catch up to them and this race i did i think five times this cross-country one because the rubber banding was driving me nuts i would get way ahead of everyone i take this is one shortcut that you can go up a mountain and skip the road and i'd be like a full 10 seconds ahead of everyone i'm like oh man i can coast at this point and every checkpoint i'd see them catch up by like a second and then by two seconds and then by three seconds and i was like driving extremely well i was was hitting corners perfectly was never slowing down and i saw them just catching up to me and like it, you start realizing like oh god this game is rubber banding really badly because i could crash and completely wreck my bike and be 15 seconds behind. But in that race, I'd be like, well, if I just keep going normal speed, eventually I'll catch up because this game wants me to. And maybe I'm entirely wrong and I'm an idiot and I'm just seeing stuff wrong. But every it feels like your position doesn't really matter until the last 10 to 15% of the race. And at that point, it's like, okay, just save your boost, do everything right, and you'll make it no matter your positioning. And it just, you, I understand that you don't want the race a racing game to be like okay now you're ahead by you know half a mile no one will ever catch up to you but you want to be able to earn that stuff you want to feel like you're if you get out into a lead you want to keep it and feel like you earned that lead because you're driving well and the rubber banding in this really drove me nuts i think later on as i started playing this with a friend of mine i mean the game is called the crew for a reason when you play with crews not Terry. When you play with other people, it, it, it feels good. And that was actually when I started to swing. Because after the rubber banding and after a lot of the the kind of open world disappointment, I started playing with a friend of mine. And that really opened up the game to me. Because it's just fun. It's just fun going in these races together. And um, if you end up getting in last place, as long as your friend comes in the top three, it still counts towards your progression. And that's really cool. And it's just fun to like have these oh shit moments with your friends in the races. And when it's just you and AI, it's not it doesn't mean as much. But when you actually roll with the crew, it, it is way more fun. And maybe that's obvious, but I know a lot of people just don't play games online or cooperatively, or they don't play you know they just play by themselves. They'll play Overwatch by themselves, or PUBG or Fortnite, and they don't want to group up with people. But I would really recommend it for the crew too. It changed my entire opinion about it. I, it that was the part that I was like, okay, cool. 
I get it. I understand why the crew is really fucking fun. But there's also this this loot system in the game that <laughs> it almost feels like it's checking a box that had to be ticked where someone said, hey, you need a loot system in your game. Figure it out. And they figured it out and you earn loot after every race and you have like purple and green and blue and all this like loot that you're attaching to your car. It's cool to see the numbers go up in, in the fact like, I mean, any game, it's cool to see numbers go up and I am extremely into progression, but it also just kind of feels like, hey, we need a loot system. There's no real smart way to do this. It's going to feel extremely valuable. Like it might just be easier to have progressively better cars, but we're just going to do the loot system. And that's a bit of like a, uh, I don't know. I feel like you just, you saw like Destiny and Assassin's Creed. And you're like, let's do that. And it, it kind of feels out of place. Uh, and even understanding which cars are the best and which type of car you're buying. Is this a, a, a hyper car or a drag racing car or a speedboat? There's, there's, it doesn't not explain it, but it's, there's kind of poor UI in that where I never really knew like, okay, am I getting the best type of car here? What is the best type of car? Uh, how do I get this car? How do I get that car? I feel like a game like this where it's pushing progression in terms of it's giving you this colored loot all the time after every race. It should also then really do well to signpost how to get the best car and where to get the newest stuff and let you know like, hey, you now unlock this other car. You now have the money for this. Go get it. I never felt like that. I feel like you could essentially just get the car you have and just keep upgrading it over and over with all the new parts you have. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is, hey, it's not about getting the best car. It's about finding aesthetically the car you like the most, then using the loot to pack it on there. But I guess for me, I also wanted like, hey, I don't actually know if I'm using a good car. Should I go get a better car? There's some, again, there's some information about that, but it doesn't feel like as, if you're going to be as in your face with the loot, you might as well go all the way and also be like, hey, go get this car. This car is better than that car. That part was a little frustrating. Uh, let me say this, though. If Ubisoft supports this game the way they've supported Siege, For Honor, and so many things, the crew, too, is going to be awesome. And it's not bad. I enjoyed it, and I'm still going to keep playing it. And I still really like playing it with my friend. And I, I, Even though I think the loot system is a bit clunky and sloppy, I still like seeing numbers go up. I'm sorry. I'm that simple. But Ubisoft has really shown that they are willing to release a game that feels complete and then add so much to it that by the time you see it a year or two later, it might still have an, it might get an entirely new community because it just keeps evolving. And I hope, you know, the little bit of a mixed reviews don't turn them away from trying to really add to this game. Give me a reason to drive across the country. Give me better explanations of what car I should be going for. Remove the story. Just get that shit out of here. It's really bad. That's such a bummer. I just I wish they could communicate why you're racing a little bit better. There's so many cheap one-liners and just like things that, oh, it's so generic. And then it gets worse than generic. But it feels good to race. It feels good to fly. I don't love the boat stuff, but it can be fun. And it's a good variety to add to it. Uh, and I think there's a, a shit ton of content in terms of the actual activities, but give me a reason to not do the activities, to go explore the world, 
beyond like oh hey take a there's a certain photo opportunity in this one mountain go to the mountain and you'll get you'll get some sort of uh points that add to your level i don't really care about that i'm looking for cool reasons to explore colorado cool reasons to go check out my hometown in pennsylvania and i feel like the the framework is here you could do cool stuff with this the crew 2 is a fun racing game that just needs more interesting stuff on the periphery. But I will be doing a podcast on that. I will be talking to them. Um, and hey, you know what? Maybe I'll just ask them about it. What's your DLC plans? Who wrote this game? <laughs> Kidding. I would never... I'm not I'm trying to call off the writer. I'm guessing a lot of the stuff with big publishers, it, it gets refined in a way that they never expected. But the crew too is cool. Um, I always hate saying, like, they'll wait for a deal and then buy it. But... Uh, if you're dying for a racing game, go for it. If you're interested, at least a little bit, wait a bit, pick it up a couple months from now, see what they do in terms of DLC. But it'll be worth your time. The next game on my list is also something that I'm pretty conflicted about. First off, I'm conflicted whether or not it's called Vampire or Vampire. But just for the sake of this, I'm going to call it Vampire because one, I think it sounds cooler, and two, I've just been calling it that, so I'm used to it. But uh, Vampire is at its best when it's vampire doctor simulator and i mean that as a compliment um so first off let me just say i don't think vampire which for those who don't know is this i hate using dark souls comparison but i'm gonna use it a little bit this dark souls-esque uh third person action game with a heavy emphasis on dialogue it's i i don't think the combat is as bad as people say it is. I think it's just good enough that you feel constantly challenged and interested in fights and you're able to use all the different abilities that you gain from um, upgrading your character. And I don't know, I, I throughout, let me say this first, I, I'm not that, I'm probably like eight hours in, maybe a little bit less. I still have a long way to go. So maybe there's going to be a point where the combat just completely loses my interest. But there's just enough there right now that I'm into it. But when I say that it's at its best when it's this doctor simulator, the actual moments where you're not fighting are probably the most interesting. There is this aspect of, you know, as this recovering completionist that I am, uh, there's this massive just barrage of dialogue that you're immediately introduced to when you get to certain areas. So for example, again, you're, you become this vampire, but you're still a doctor and you get to this hospital area with all these different people. Um, and you need to talk to them and treat them. And there's these long conversation trees that happen. And <laughs> the reason why being a recovering completionist makes this hard is you're talking to people to unlock more talking and that talking unlocks another person's talking and you need to pay attention to the talking to choose the right talking option. There's just so much dialogue here. And I actually think it's really well done and well voice acted and well written. Um, but you end up talking to a person, there's like four options, then four becomes eight. And then suddenly you're just talking to this person for what feels like five to 10 minutes. And you're like, oh, cool. Well, I really uncovered a lot about this person, got a lot of info. And you realize there's like 12 other people around you. And you you might talk to three more. And then that gives you more information that 
unlocks a hidden dialogue option for the person you talk to at the start. So it becomes this kind of cascading dialogue tree that, again, I think the writing is strong and I think the voice acting is good. And this is not a graphical powerhouse. You could tell there's a certain budget to it. It's almost a charming budget, like a charming lower budget with this. But it just becomes a little bit overwhelming to be like, oh, my God, I'm just going to spend 90 minutes. I'm going to load up this game. I'm going to get back from work, walk my dog, make dinner and be like, all right, cool. I have like an hour 90 minutes or so to play games and you might spend that entire time just talking to people and uncovering information and that's okay that's totally fine that's not a bad thing it's just a very know what you're getting into and you don't have to do that you don't have to unlock all of this it seems like the, the deeper you get in these conversations the more you raise kind of first off you get different quests but it also seems like you are allowing yourself more experience if you decide that you want to bite that person which is a big aspect of this game where these characters are kind of these pools of blood and also experience. And the more you keep them healthy, the more you talk to them, the more you uncover stuff for them, the more you reward you get if you decide to just munch down on them, which I haven't done yet. And that might change. That's something really fascinating to me. I love this idea of, hey, here's all these characters that are unique and interesting and have stories. But if you feel like you're not doing well in combat, just go... Let's go suck them off. Go suck off these people. And you'll be able to gain way more experience than you ever would at a quest or combat. So that's kind of... I'm, I hate using bold. Like a bold design decision. But it kind of is. To be able to, to have this big carrot of, hey, you like to see numbers go up, right? Josiah, you like to see progression systems. You can get a whole bunch of progression if you eat that dude. Uh, you want to go do that, but then you might remove a quest or a dialogue option, or maybe if they have some sort of utility, they sell you stuff or something. And that's a really cool idea. I, I, I'm interested to see how it develops as it goes. Uh, I haven't gone back to Vampire in a while, but I will. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's a really cool concept. Uh, I'm interested to see if it eventually forces me to. I feel like, man, I just have to do this. I'm not strong enough. Um, a little worried right now about the, the sickness management aspect of all of this. So it seems like the more time passes, which time passes when you sleep and upgrade, the more people around you could be in trouble and might need medicine and you need to find them and travel all over the place to do that. I don't really want this to become this massive. I think it's cool to have a vampire doctor simulator. I think that needs to be a, there needs to be like light elements of that. So you're not like, uh-oh, the Jimmy across the... Across the pond has a weird sickness that needs to be treated by antibiotics. I need to make that with certain materials. I'm going to gain from killing a whole bunch of dudes and then travel all the way over there to do that. I don't love that idea of it. But I think Vampire, it's funny comparing this to Yoku because I was like, Yoku feels like an entirely new thing. Vampire doesn't, but it does have a lot of aspects that really grab me that it plays with this sort of Dark Souls demon soul style combat but adds in this really rich layer of dialogue and interesting characters and it's just, it, it's a cool thing it's something that i really need to dig back into but again when you have limited time it's sometimes it's hard to just jump into that game for just an hour and feel like you did a lot um and that's actually the perfect transition to the next game which is mother gunship which i think the older i get the more i'm looking for 30-minute experiences that feel complete, an entire loop, like one competitive Overwatch game. 
win or lose, it, it almost tells us there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. You can walk away without feeling like you need to do another one. If you lose, and I'm a, like a sore loser with it, and I want to just get that win back or get that, you know, erase that loss. But there's certain games that do that well. Mother Gunship does that extremely well. There, there's so much value in the 15 minute run that feels meaningful. And you're able to. So, this is a game that is made by the Tower of Guns people, which was a free PS Plus game a while ago. And it's very much focuses on proceduralism. So you, it is a first-person shooter in the style of a fast-paced Doom or Unreal or something like that. Maybe not that fast, but close. Where you're going into these rooms, these these different missions, and each new room you go into is procedurally created. Um, the layout, the enemies, and um, the different rewards you might get. There's bonus rooms that are like, oh, this one, there's uh, there's jump pads everywhere. Or uh, you need to not shoot this certain gun for 20 seconds. Uh, it feels like if I had to guess, they're crafted, designed locations. So that's not like, I don't think the entire geometry is procedural. I think it's like, hey, we made 50 different uh, room variations and what's inside of them is procedural, but they're handcrafted. And you have... Duh, you have two hands, but let me explain why I'm making a point of that, is that in each hand you can create a gun. Um, sometimes you are forced into bringing certain parts. Other times you can cr bring your own parts in that you're collecting. And they're like a connector. So essentially think of it as like, okay, here's the base of the gun. It's a, it's a three-prong connector. So to this you can add a, one type of barrel, another type of barrel, and a modifier. Or you might have a one-pronged gun where it's just you can add one or two-pronged, where you can add one barrel and then a, a different mod on it. And it, it there's a lot of weapon variety. So on one on your right hand, if you have a three-pronged thing, you can do like, okay, cool. On the top of this gun, there is a shotgun. On the bottom, there's a rocket launcher. In the middle, there's a modifier that means the, the bullets bounce. So now your shotgun and your rockets are bouncing as you're shooting it. Now, the more you add to that, that hand the more each time you shoot, it takes up a certain meter. You don't have ammo. It's more of a charge meter on each one. And if it's a really simple gun, you might be able to almost shoot it infinitely because it's not taking up very much charge with each shot. But if you have a big fucking thing, it takes a lot. But it really just feels good. It, there's a speed to it. And the variety to not just the levels, not just the enemies, but the guns that... Each time I was like, I think I found the perfect combo. This is the certain type of rocket or the certain type of laser rifle I want. And then I'll go on and try something entirely new. I'm like, no, wait, that's the thing. And it encourages that because, again, some missions are forcing you into trying new things. Like, hey, you have to take this stuff. And that might feel restrictive, but I think it's smart because it forces you to try things you might not try otherwise. And you need stuff like that in this game or it would get boring. If you have the exact same gun every single time, that'd be boring. You want the game to force you to try new things. It's very, very good at that. But it, it, it is hard the uh, because they really a lot of things in this game are up to a roll of a dice. Sometimes you end up in a room that's like, that's it. And you kill like a few people and you overcome a couple of jumps. And you're like, cool, I'm on to the next room. Other times it's just a clusterfuck of exploding guys and lava and 
uh, suddenly there's like 18 turrets all around you just shooting at you while you're avoiding the explosions and that takes a while to get used to especially if you do that early on and you have like one shitty gun in your right hand only your fists on your left hand and you're just in a hell room and it, it usually scales difficulty as you go but sometimes you just get a bad draw which is fine I think you need that to again this game has to be about variety if you don't have that many different factors going in there's no variety there then what are you doing um, and you know what we talked earlier about the crew and how the writing is bad. I think the writing in this game is genuinely funny without trying too hard. And while it's not making these new, crazy, extremely clever jokes, it's just constantly throwing some funny stuff at you that you're like, oh, that's 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 cool. There's like really funny characters that you don't actually see. You just see like little portraits. But they're they're funny and they're and they're they're charming and they they keep you interested and they just stick around long enough and then you're like, okay, cool, that's all I needed to hear. And you move on to the next mission. It's I love how fast it is. I think a lot of shooters, there's a certain methodical nature to them, which is totally fine. But the, 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 every once in a while, you want that just don't stop for nothing feel. And Mother Gunship is a don't stop for nothing game. There's even rooms that say, hey, don't stop moving for 25 seconds, which is fine. You're like, I'm fucking on it. It uh, it's it's really good. It feels like a good evolution of Tower of Guns. Um, I think there's it could do a bit of a better job explaining its deeper systems. There's certain times where you get to the end of a level and it's like, oh, two of twenty secrets found. You're like, wait, how do I even find the secrets? Like, what are the secrets? And it doesn't really explain that. It just says that you missed the secrets. Um, and you'll start exploring and you start, can't really find anything. You're like, wait, did I miss an entire room? Is there like explodable walls or anything like that? Do I need to press X on a certain space and it unlocks something? It doesn't communicate everything to you. Um, maybe a little bit more tutorialization on how to build guns properly wouldn't hurt either. But still, uh, another thing too, there's side quests. So there's like a main quest in the middle, like you're looking at this map and there's a main quest, it's a ship and it says like, here's the main one. And the surrounding it are these smaller ships you can choose from and fly to and they're the side quest. But when you beat a side quest, the, the, the side quest ship doesn't explode or go away. It's like, it stays there. I think it does explode, but then another one comes up and it's, it, I, I, there's times where I'm like, am I repeating a side quest? Is it okay if I repeat a side quest? Am I getting lesser value for redoing this? Uh, but it's... These are these are nitpicks. There's there's a good sense of progression, which always matters for me. You're raising levels, you're getting gold, you're buying weapons in the black market, you're continuing to talk to these characters who are really interesting and funny. And even if there wasn't all that, it just feels good to shoot stuff. I think a lot of games like this rest on that core. Is this part fun? Not every game needs to be fun, but this game is explicitly made to be fun. And it feels good to just move. The sense of movement is incredible. The jumps, the the the, the jump pads. I, I'm getting better as I go, and this is again my perfect. Hey, I just want to do a couple of couple of runs, couple of levels. It's kind of a roguelike feel to it. We're like, I'm just gonna spend 20 minutes doing this. I'll play it a few times, beat a level, die once, beat that level later, and then cool, move on with life. Mother Gunship is. A lot of fun and if you don't haven't heard of it th th there you go go give it a try ps4 xbox pc i think it's on everything um that's my current 
That is that, that's my current most played thing, other than Overwatch, which that's not a fair comparison. But that Mother Gunship is kind of the it's taken over all my other games for right now. Uh, let's talk one more, and this is actually one that I, I finished a while ago, and I've talked a lot about on Twitter, but I haven't really gone into detail about why I love it. Moonlighter is maybe a top three game of the year choice for me right now. It's like Moonlighter and Yakuza. But Moonlighter might be higher up. If you ever hear me talk about video games, and it's already come up multiple times during this episode, I really care about progression. I want to be able to play something, feel like it was a good use of my time, which is maybe a weird sentence. Because <laughs> I'm still playing a video game. I'm not, you know, going outside and exercising or you know putting in work charity work or anything like that i'm not helping the world be a better place but you want to walk away feeling like you accomplished something in that world this is the ultimate josiah loop game moonlighter is a game all about being this shop owner who really wants to be more than a shop owner be an adventurer and you're using your shop and your dungeon skills to go on this loop where you go to a dungeon to get stuff you bring the stuff back to the village to sell it and use the money from the sales to upgrade your equipment, to upgrade the village, to upgrade your store, weapons, armor, and repeat. And that might sound boring to you. We are like, I don't want to do a shop owner simulation. What the fuck are you talking about? But whatever. This game rules. You there, There's so much packed into it where uh, it starts out very, you know, of course, small, but... You go to a dungeon, every time you kill something, some loot pops out. Sometimes it's really low, like, hey, you got a stick. A lot of times it's like, you got a gold log, which is worth a lot of money. And you're you're going back to the shop with about you know 20 things or so, and you're putting stuff up for sale, and you don't know the value of things yet. And you're like, I don't know how much to sell this, this, this stick for. So you put it up for 10 gold. You put a few other things up for random prices, and then you open the shop. And there's like about a you know five-minute little interactive section here where people start coming in the shop. They'll go over, they'll look at your item, and they'll be like, that's too expensive. And there'll be a little angry face over their head. And they'll walk away from it. So you're like, oh, man, I'm going to make this stick. You panic. You're like, I'm going to make this stick $1. So then someone comes in, and they see the $1 stick, and they grab it. And there's like a big old money symbol over their head. Like, oh my God, that's a crazy deal. And they go over and sell it to you. And you're like, wait a minute, could I have gotten more? So then you ended up putting a five and you realize that's the perfect price. So you're you're pricing everything that way. And there's a balance between understanding what you should sell and what you should keep. Because the things you're selling are also the things you can use to upgrade certain aspects of your weapons. You can get new swords, new bows, new whatever, new armor with the different items you have but again that also costs money so it's a big balance of i need to get a lot of things i need to store some things and not sell them because i need to use them to upgrade but i need to make sure that i'm constantly going through this loop of for me it was at night dungeon during the day you're a shop owner and sometimes you might do a full two days night and day just going through the dungeon and getting stuff collecting as much stuff as possible and upgrading and upgrading and upgrading and upgrading and getting new people to recruit it to your to your village and they have certain value where this person might enchant aspects of your weapon or this person you can sell certain things to or trade stuff in or um, 
just stuff like that and you make your shop more appealing so people leave a greater tip and you can hire a helping hand so that if someone's trying to steal stuff from you they'll they'll beat the shit out of them or you can uh let them run the store while you go do dungeon stuff and you leave them a certain tip it's i uh i think i said this on a podcast or maybe on twitter it, it i was playing god of war then i got moonlighter and i started playing moonlighter and i immediately stopped playing god of war i'm sorry god of war it, it nothing to do with but god of war's quality it's just this is this is my game like this is an indie game that took me away from the biggest AAA game, one of the most highly rated AAA games, because like I just I love Moonlighter. Um, the combat's even snappy, skill based, and rewarding. Like you can, there's there's a really good role in the game, where a lot of times with these sort of like Zelda isometric style dungeon crawlers, it it can be hard to know like how close should I get, how do I really move out of the way, and this is just there's a really good movement to it. And it doesn't feel like you're getting just, you know, there's like, there's a bit of, if you bump into the wrong guy, you take damage. And sometimes it's like, ah, I wish there was more of a, like the hit boxes were a little bit different, but most of the time it felt really good and you get better over time. Um, And it just, it feels good when you come back. There's a lot of inventory management, which people have knocked it for. And I totally understand where you only have about 20 slots and. Uh, if you go to a dungeon and do really well on a dive and there's like 30 items you want to bring back, you, you have to do inventory management. You have to be like, I, I can't take this thing with me. Or this really good item has a certain enchantment on it and it's going to, you can keep it, but the two items underneath it are going to be destroyed when you go back. So you have to like manage it so it's in a certain corner and it's not actually taking items away from you. Uh, it's kind of fun. It, it's fun to, I, I it's really weird to say inventory management is fun, but you have to make the hard choices and just figure it out. And you might come back and suddenly you go from selling things for 20, 40, 60 to like 5,000 per thing or 10,000 per thing. And it kind of almost has, you know, in a clicker, if you've played a lot of clickers like Cookie Clicker, where suddenly the scale just gets crazy. It never gets like bonkers trillions, but it's fun to watch that scale go up for suddenly it feels like every click instead of being worth one is worth 10 is worth 100, which is worth 100,000. And yeah, it's this is there's an actual video game behind this is not just the clicker numbers going up it's very good my main knock actually is the bosses i think the bosses themselves are really cool they do fun things they look cool but if you are like me and you want to upgrade a lot of things and get kind of the best equipment you can get before you go into the boss as long as you have a few potions and you go in with the best equipment you can before a new dungeon opens and you fight that boss you're gonna run through them you can kind of just almost stand in front of them and just slash and then heal a bit and then keep slashing. I died once against the final boss, but every other boss I beat in the first try, and this is not a skill thing. I'm not good at this game. It was just a pure stats thing. And that was a bit of a bummer because you build up and you're building up and you're building up and you're building up and you're like, I'm so excited to fight this thing. It's going to be tough, but I feel like I'm strong enough and it's not that tough. The actual regular loop, though, the regular dungeons, especially at the start, are difficult at tilt. You will die a lot. You'll lose stuff. You'll get angry. But that's fine. Um, I fully upgraded just about everything in this game. I feel like it probably took 10, 15 hours, something like that. I did want a bit more. But it's the kind of amount, uh, like the amount of time where by the end you're like, okay. I... It's it's leaving me wanting, but not in like, oh, there's not enough here. It's more of like, man, this was so good that I wish there's a little bit more, but I'll have fond memories of it. I I am so in 
on Moonlighter. And maybe it won't be for everyone. There's this weird mix of almost feels like Harvest Moon meets oh, there was this Steam game that had a similar shop element way back when, but uh, and also meets Zelda. Um, the developer is Digital Sun. And I think they did an incredible job. This might be their first game too. Uh, so Moonlighter. Moonlighter is on... It's, it's it, might, it might have just got on Switch. So that's about to come on Switch. PS4, Xbox, everything. Buy Moonlighter. It is, of all of these games I've talked about, the one that stands out the most. It's... Uh, it's really rad. Other than that, <laughs> all I've been really doing other than this is Overwatch. And I, I wish I, I need to stop playing that so I can play other video games and talk about more games. I still put an entirely way too much time. There's no game that... Do you have that game in your life where the sure you get really angry at it and you want to break everything and uninstall it? But the, the highs are so high and the lows are so low that when you play anything else, it's like it just doesn't give you the same juice. PUBG was like that for a while for me, but Overwatch is always that game where whenever I'm not playing it, I feel like I could be, I should be playing it. I'm like, oh, if I just win one more game, if I just do this, you have a crazy run in Mother Gunship, or you get great loot in Moonlighter, but it doesn't quite reach the highs of an Overwatch. It, it's, it's a very addictive type of thing. It feels like gambling because every time you win a bunch, you're like, oh, now I have the room to go all in and play four more and then you lose all four and you realize you went negative one that night after winning three of the start. So um, there's a whole bunch of other games I have on the horizon that I'm looking into. I'll continue to do episodes like this. I'll continue to episodes with developers. I will continue to, um, and in general, I love talking about other people's games with them. And I, this is also fun too, to, to have episodes like this where I can just sit down and kind of go over my thoughts and maybe decide how I feel about a game while I'm having a full conversation with myself about it. So again, the games we talked about today, Yoku's Island Express, major thumbs up. The Crew 2, uh, semi thumbs up that I think over time will grow and become much better. Uh, Vampire, a flawed thumbs up that I'm interested to see how it eventually will go. Mother Gunship, 100% get in on that. That's a super fun 15-minute run-at-a-time type of game. And then Moonlighter, which is my game of this podcast that if you haven't yet, you should buy it. High recommendation. Um, if you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate a glowing review of the podcast in general on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, give it a follow. Um, I'm, of course, at Josiah Renauden on Twitter. At the 1099 podcast is also there. Um, a whole bunch of really exciting podcasts that I am trying to plan and lock in now. Uh, I don't want to talk about yet because I hate like announcing something and then having it fall through. But it's a whole bunch of cool things in the works. If you could send me a tweet or... A Reddit post or whatever, an email. My email's on my Twitter account. If you don't, don't want to make it as public, DM me. Who you want to hear from next on the show? What style of show you want to hear? Do you want to hear more developers? Do you want to hear more podcasters? Do you want to hear more YouTubers, writers? I'm open to it. I'm always open to suggestions because I know a lot of people and I I have this, I would like to think a deep pool of contacts that I like to draw on, but I also want to be introduced to new people who I just don't know about. There's so many great people out there that work in games that I just don't know about that I would love to talk to. 
again, appreciate all the feedback, appreciate all the people who have been asking me about my life and my work and everything. It really means a lot. It's cool to have so many uh, listeners out there who care about that shit. That means a lot to me. So thanks again. Thank you for sticking it out with me as I do a solo podcast. Really appreciate it. And hopefully you tune back into the next episode of the 1099.